unique that Jesse would ask for a uh, baby dedication when I have a short parable. So, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll just flow right along, Lord helping us. Let's open our Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. And we'll read from verses 5 through 13. And verse 5 through 13, Luke 11. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in the journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that seeketh, receiveth. And for, for everyone that asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you, that is, a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he, for a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If then, being evil, if ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Ghost to them that ask him? I want to... Uh, uh, teach this morning on the simple thought, the midnight friend, the midnight friend. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being in your house. We thank you, Lord, that we can be here together, Lord, with a desire to get something from your word. And Lord, that's, that's what church is all about, Lord. It's, it's for our spiritual development as Christians, Lord. That's, that's what we're here for. Lord, to receive instruction, admonition, encouragement, Lord. That's why we're here. So, Lord, I pray that, God, you would help me to be the best that I can be for these beautiful people here this morning. pray that you'd be with Kevin and touch Titus, Lord, as they're not able to be here. Titus is not well. So, Lord, we pray that you'd touch him. And, Father, for each and every one of us here, God, help us, Lord, in our uh, through our quest in this life. We're living in tumultuous times that we we are but but then it it doesn't take us by surprise because that's the path that your word so clearly reveals to us in these last days so lord minister to us through your holy spirit this morning in jesus name and everyone said amen the midnight friend you know something that we constantly remind you of or bring to the forefront of each and every lesson if most of them if not all of them but understanding history and culture is is really important you know understanding the history and culture you know the the background uh, is 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 extremely important as we try to understand or interpret these parables this is one of the keys to gaining a proper perspective when studying parables, is understanding what life was like back then. There was a friend that was traveling at midnight. Well, 
If he was traveling at midnight, why? Why was he traveling? Well, the reason was because to travel during the day was very difficult because of the intense heat. The temperatures would get extremely hot and, and it just made traveling, you know, walking, uh, or even if you rode a donkey or something like that, it was very, very hard on man and beast. And so a lot of times they'd just travel at night. Historically, this is the common time for travel uh, when the sun would go down. You know, back as I was studying this year, years ago and before I gave my life to the Lord, when I was, I was a produce hauler, I used to uh, haul produce from California back east to Indiana, Ohio. And, you know, I had me a big old truck and everything, just a beautiful, beautiful rig. And th there was times when I was headed out to California, depending on the time of the day, when I would get to Kingman, Arizona, uh, you know, I'd always get ready because from Kingman to Barstow, California, you have to cross the Mojave Desert. And it just gets so hot. And if it's hot in the desert, just think, you know, add about another 50 degrees to the temperature of asphalt, you know, the road. And so I would sit there in Kingman and, and if I wasn't pushed for time, which mo most the time I wasn't going out, I, I would sit there and I would wait for the sun to go down. And I would wait and wait and, until, you know, sometimes 10, 11 o'clock at night. And then I'd get my, my big old truck ready and I'd head out across the, the Mojave Desert because the road temperature was was lower, you know, during the day, uh, you know, and of course being you know, what they called a big strapper, you know, I always ran in high gear and uh, I, I just did. And if you, if you traveled the way that, that I traveled during the day, uh, you would blow your tires cause you know, that constant uh, road temperature and you know, the, the physics of tires going around and the heat and everything, they actually, produce a lot more air uh, inside them. And so a lot of guys, they just blow their tires, you know, or even in vehicles and so on, cars. And so I'd always wait till evening time so that I could really get with the program and not have to worry about my tires popping on me. And so, you know, heat is an issue as it was, you know, in, in their time. Historically, Hebrew Jewish people are extremely hospitable. You know, and, and, and let, let me just kind of challenge you, you parents here, you young parents growing up here. Um, you know, this is a, an etiquette. Hospitality is an etiquette that we don't see much of anymore. I am such a proponent of house etiquette for people that visit. I love being a host, or my wife um, is, is far beyond me. She just goes to the nth degree in being a host when people comes. Everything has to be right for them. And, and it's one of those things that, that uh, Debbie and I have always been that way. We, we simply have. We've always opened our home to whosoever comes. We've not tried to be stingy with anything that, that, that we have. We just try to, you know, have a, a very high standard of etiquette when we receive visitors. But th this is something that was, that you can see in the Bible, clear back in the life of, of Abraham. 
In Genesis 18, and I won't turn there, but you'll, you'll understand the, the context or the narrative there. You know, the Lord was getting ready to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and he sent some people to Abraham. Matter of fact, it says, and the Lord appeared unto Abraham. And in those first few uh, verses of Genesis chapter 18, Abraham said, well, come on in. And I'm giving you my paraphrase here. Let me wash your feet. You know, get in out of the sun because the Bible says it was hot. And he brought them in and, and gave them refreshments. And he, he went to his wife, Sarah, and said, go kill a calf and let's feed these men. I mean, he wanted to take care of them. And that is something that that etiquette is something that has been passed down, down through the years uh, through uh, Jewish culture. Uh, I think it's something that, that is very, very uh, much needed, especially in the hour that we live, because we have a tendency to overreact to all the bad things that are happening around us. We lock our doors, we, we don't trust anybody and things like that. But, you know, God gives us the ability to discern. And, and you know, most of the time we don't have bad people coming to our homes. We have friends or somebody asking for instructions and things like that or directions or whatever it may be. We had a, you know, some of your VRBO people popped into our house the other day and, and, uh, and I met with them and, and they said, we're looking for this address. And I, I, I didn't remember your address. And I said, well, what's the name? And they said, Wild Fowl Unlimited. And I said, well, that's the Streakstras and you must be VRBO uh, tenants here, the clients. And they said, we sure are. And I told them where, where your house was. You could see it from mine. And I said, let me tell you something, folks. You're in for the time of your life. It's a beautiful place. Didn't tell them about the treehouse. But uh, they got all excited and they left, you know. And, and so I just, just trying to be people. And, but knowing the caliber that the streaksters are, I, I knew that those people would definitely be in for a, a good time because of their etiquette, because of their hospitality and so on. When Mike and Anita was here, just, you know, and, I, and I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. That's not my point here. I want to just show you how it's done, if you can do it. Maybe you, don't, you can't do it to the degree or don't see the degree that, that I see. But when Mike and Anita was here, you know, they're, they're dear friends. But, you know, even if you're just a friend, you know, it, it doesn't matter, you know, but when they came, we, we, we'd go different places. We went out for coffee, and I wouldn't let them buy. And we'd go out to eat, and, I, and I'd always tell the, the waitress, I said, I'm taking care of this. Don't listen to him. You know, you and me, let me have this uh, bill here. And, and, uh, and finally, he just said, you don't let us do anything. And I said, it, you know, I'm originally from Indiana, and, in, and the, the, the people from Indiana are called Hoosiers. And attached to that is what they call Hoosier hospitality. And I've always believed in that, just being extremely hospitable to people that travel far, especially 2,000 miles to see you. You know, they have their own expenses and, and it doesn't break us, you know, to throw in a few dollars. And, I, and I'm not saying you have to be that, that extravagant, you know, that, that's not my point here, but I... I want them to remember their stay here. When we have special conferences like, like we have, and they're, they're the best. I mean, this, I don't see how they can get any better, but this last one here was just, you know, it was great. And, and, uh, but my, 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 my prayer and my motive for having these conferences is, is for you and I to benefit 
from it, but I also want those that come to benefit from it. I want them to experience Montana hospitality. Amen. But really, whether you're from Indiana or, or Montana or wherever you might come from, uh, it, it, we could just kind of do away with all that and say it's, it's Bible etiquette. Amen. To be hospitable hospitable. It's a, it's a principle that we see in the scriptures. When we lived in, in Sierra Leone, you know, once again, Sierra Leone was more conducive to Bible times than our culture. But when we lived in Sierra Leone, your door was open from morning until night. And then at night, the door was shut and it was bolted. And it was, it was, you know, we had bolts and barrel bolts and all kinds of things because thievery was so bad. And, uh, but it was open from morning till night. But when the generator went off, the doors were latched and they were shut. And, uh, and, and that was it. But every once in a while, you'd be laying in bed and you'd hear somebody beating on that door. They would be beating on that door. And so you'd get up and you'd go to the door and it was somebody in need. It was always a need. And, and, uh, and we never turned them away. Uh, it's kind of like being, you know, on the fire department. You know, you get, you get a call and in the middle of the night, Peter goes through this just all the time. You know, he gets a call at two o'clock in, in the morning and he has to respond. Or, and then he gets home and he just lays down and then it goes off again and he's got to run again, you know. And that's kind of the way it was as a mission. You'd make a good missionary. That's, that's kind of the way it was on the mission field. You know, we, when people would come, you know, I've, I've seen people come to our door that were dying, literally dying. And they have no vehicles or anything like that. And it's, you know, 150 miles to the hospital. Pac, can you, it's one o'clock in the morning, but can you take her to the hospital? Sure, you know, I'll, I'll do everything I can, you know. And, and uh, so, you know, uh, th that's kind of the way life is. Only, But, you know, in Jesus' time, they didn't have cars or motorcycles or anything like that. But just trying to be hospitable and help people out when they come to your door. Therefore... If you just look at these, these two points here, you know, why people travel at night, you know, and, and uh, the, the, the whole concept of being hospitable, the etiquette behind it and everything, just understanding those two points there will help you to see the meaning in this parable. Just knowing that. So that brings me to my second point here this morning. Let's talk about friends. Being a good host is a good character trait, once again, that we should cultivate, homeowners here or people that rent, whatever it might be. Um, it's a good character trait to cultivate. You know, we have this thing in, in the Metzger family. You don't have to ask to come to our house for lunch or dinner or whatever. You just don't. Here a couple of weeks ago, we went out to eat, and Jesse and Angel showed up, and she said, well, Dad, that's the way we were raised, you know, if you want to go out to eat, just show up, you know, and so they were there, which we enjoyed it, you know, and I just thought, yes, you know, huh, yeah, right on, and uh, so, you know, that, that's just kind of the way it's always been, if, if, if you wait for an invitation, th this is the way I look at it, we're human, and, and, and uh, sometimes things that you, you give place to the devil and he'll put thoughts in your mind that are simply not true. But if you just don't take the initiative and be there yourself, sometimes the people that are there forget to tell the other people, you know, especially when you've got a big family that, hey, we're having dinner or something like this. And, 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 uh, and so there's always that room for thought. Well, I just wasn't invited or anything. No, in my family, 
Um, if you want something to eat, you just show up. Because I reciprocate. I do it to you folks. I really do. And, uh, you know, I show up and I'm always giving Hannah Brianne. She's, you know, my only daughter-in-law, but I'm always telling her, you know, you got cookies or make me cookies or something like that. And, uh, and uh, you know, and of course, Leah being right next door, uh, she just always asked me, do you want something to eat or coffee or whatever, you know? And so I understand, you know, the, this, this, this being hospitable is something hospitable that is, is, is being cultivated in, in, in our lives. You know, how would you react to someone that came to your house at midnight and wanted three loaves of bread for another friend? Now, now, now you, you got to really keep focus on what's being said here. Somebody comes and knocks on your door and says, I need three loaves of bread for another friend. <laughs> That's exactly what's going on here. <laughs> Amen. The host was embarrassed that he had no leftovers to give to his friend who was in need, who had traveled through the night. And so the potential for, for embarrassment was, was really great. It was, it was there because in culture, once again, in, as we've already alluded to, to not be able to open up your door and offer something refreshing to somebody that comes to visit you is extremely negative. Uh, it, it, it's, it's not good. Amen. Uh, culturally, things were not looking good for this host. And from what I've read, I mean, they really take this serious. It wasn't good for the community. If you have somebody in that community that is not being friendly, and it, 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 it put, casts a shadow on the entire community then, not just your house. Because everybody knows that this is the way we are as a people. My, if we could just take things like that and learn it. But our... But our our environment and all the things that go on around us really tie our hands sometimes. I, I want to give us somewhat the benefit of the doubt. It, it, it's really hard to duplicate that in the, uh, in the time that we're living here today. Well, what would you do if this scenario was literally happening to you today? What, what would you do? Okay, let's, let's bring it around again. You're at your house and somebody comes knocking on the door. And you're in bed. You're in bed. And he says, um, bang, 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 bang. Open up. You're in bed. And, you, and you're talking through the door. It's not quiet when you're talking through the door. And, uh, and the man on the, on the inside says, hey, <laughs> you know, I'm in bed with my wife, my kids, you know, from what I've read, that, that within itself showed that they were a poor, small home because they all slept on mats. They all slept in the same room. And, uh, and so here, here, here he is. He's banging on the door, and, and, and your friend is, is trying to get some sleep. He says, hey, man, go away. I need three loaves of bread for my friend. And you're laying there half asleep trying to process. I got a friend at the door who needs three loaves of bread for his friend. He came to me in the night and I, I don't have any bread, you know, and so you're laying there and, and you're just trying to, you're, you're, it's getting louder. You're hollering through the door and, uh, you know, I, I really need some help. But being the friend that you are, you get up, you know, the, the thing about the three loaves, let me just comment on that. There's nothing super spiritual about it. 
the, the three loaves. Why was it three loaves? Because in, in their culture, a loaf of bread is really small. Three loaves would, would be a, an average uh, uh, meal for an average man. You know, when we lived in Sierra Leone, they were just small loaves of bread. They call it basement bread. And you could eat a couple of those. And, and so three would have been very good. It couldn't be cut because to give them something that was cut was to give them something. It's almost better not to give them something at all because that shows that it's just a leftover. But you gave them a whole loaf of bread. You gave them the best that you had uh, available in, in, in your house. And so he's saying, this is what I need. And, and your friend, once again, in bed responds. He's hollering through the door. Go away. Go away. We're all in bed. I'm not getting up. <laughs> the door's locked. And, and, and the Bible says that. The, the door is shut. Well, why was the door shut? You know, why was that emphasized? Once again, as we lived in Sierra Leone, we really understood this. During the day, the door was always open. People would conk, conk, just walk on in. They, that's, that's the way they, 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 they do it over there. They, they don't wait for you to come to the door necessarily. They just walk on in. But at night, you shut the door. And why? Because thievery is so bad in, 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 in those places. I, I want to say the whole Middle East, but probably the whole Middle East because it's a bad place right now. But, you know, they, uh, I mean, look at Faya. We just, we built a beautiful church there. Beautiful church, and uh, he sends us some photographs, and their windows were broken, and so on, where the thieves tried to get in through the windows and pull stuff out, and so on, and uh, and so we were able to give them some money to not only replace the windows, but they they had some bars fabricated that that mounted to the wall so that they can't, you know, bust through the glass and uh, gain entry and things like that. But see, when the when the door is bolted shut. It's not just to let people know that, hey, we're done for the night, but it's a matter of safety. It's a matter of safety because people would do harm to those that are asleep. They would go in and, and terrorize them and things like that. And, and so he's, he's explaining to him, the door is shut. Can't you see that? Hoping that his friend would get the, or, you know, get, get the hint. But the Bible says, but because of his friend's importunity, he crawls out of bed and gives him what he asked for. That's a friend. Importunity means persistent. It means annoying someone. Shamelessness. Refusing to be denied is what that means. The friend beating on the door wasn't going to walk away empty-handed because he knew the guy on the other side was my friend. And he's going to give me what I'm in need of. The other day, was Friday and Saturday, we had uh, Peter and Hannah's kids. And Saturday morning, I'm sitting in my chair in the living room as the kids are get, getting up. And little Timmy, he sees me and he's in his pajamas and he's got his sippy cup full of milk and he comes in and he just sits right down beside me in my my chair and he's sitting there and he's and I'm reading the news and he's saying grandpa and I'm ignoring him and he's going grandpa and I'm ignoring him because I'm reading the news and he goes grandpa you know grandpa 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 you know <laughs> grandpa I'm reading the news grandpa 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 you know you know how kids get in that 
in that mode every once in a while. They just, it's like a broken record. And I don't even think they're, they're, they're aware of the fact that they're being repetitious. It just comes out naturally, you know. And, uh, but anyway, we, we got it all taken care of. I drank his sippy cup and he got mad and left. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but anyway, he, he just kept going and going and going. And didn't Jesus say that we're to become his little children? Amen. And so, you know, there's some elements to this that I think that we could bring th some thing, other things together. But moving on here, the real crux, the, the main message of this parable is that it's a parable on prayer. Yeah, it sure is. The context of this chapter is found in the first four verses. Is that chubby? And it came to pass that as they were praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of the disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, when ye pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, or in heaven as it is in earth. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts or our sins, as we forgive our, uh, everyone else that is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then he said unto them, you know, it's a conjunction here, and then he said, which of you having a friend that comes at night? So the whole context is, is prayer. So let me just kind of really hit you here this morning. You weren't expecting this, but what is the extent of your prayer life? What is it? Do you have a prayer life? You know, the Bible says, and I could go on. You know, I, I remember years ago when we were in Lolo and we were starting the church. We are at the community center. I went a year and a half, I believe. I still have all my notes. I went a year and a half teaching on prayer, how to pray. It's important. The Bible says, you know, just, just to give you a, a, a couple highlights, bullet points here. In Genesis 32, there, there was a man, you know, you, you know the story of Jacob and Esau. Jacob swindled Esau out of his birthright and, and went and spent, what, 14 years with Uncle Laban and and was moving out and was headed for his own place. And, and somebody said, hey, your brother Esau's coming. And Esau, had, he had like 400 men. Yeah, it, and Jacob thought, man, I am in for trouble. And so Jacob thought, he says, well, we'll break, we'll, we'll break my family up into two divisions because he had several hundred people in, in his you know, workers and family and so on and his two wives and... So he said, we'll break them up into, in, in, into two different divisions and we'll put some of the animals over here and some of them over here so that if Esau overcome us, he won't get everything, but we'll be, we'll be split. So he's, he's trying to strategically, you know, militarily figure out how I'm going to survive a confrontation with Esau because he's mad because I took his birthright. And matter of fact, Jacob, he, 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 he tells some of his men, he says, take a, you know, 100 head of cattle and, you know, 30 camels and all these sheep and, and go ahead and say that it's a gift from uh, Jacob, your brother. 
Jacob was so afraid. But then he gets to this one place. It was called a uh, Jabuk. And he, he walks away from everybody. And he goes down to this river, and a man appears before him. And him and this man get in a wrestling match. Personally, I believe it was Jesus Christ. It was a Christophany. That's me. But they get in this wrestling match, and they wrestle through the night. I mean, Jacob must have been a scrapper. I mean, they fight, and they fight. They wrestle. Not, not fighting so much, but they're just wrestling. And finally, the, the other man says, man, let me go, for the day breaketh. And Jacob said, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And that other man touched the hollow of his thigh. Just went in and touched his thigh. And Jacob, he, he was limping, but he still wouldn't let go. And that man that wrestled with Jacob, looked at him in the face and said, he said, because of who you are and the strength that you're showing and the determination, you're no longer going to be Jacob, a deceiver, but you're going to be Israel, a prince of God. Willing to wrestle for it. There's a widow woman in Luke chapter 18 she lost her son and she wanted to be avenged. It must have been some murderous plot or something like that. But she went to a judge and the, and the Bible literally says, and this judge didn't fear man and he didn't fear God. Just kind of like the judges we have in America today. He, he, had, he had no mindset for compassion. But this widow woman, she wouldn't, she was... She was persistent. She was relentless. She kept going to him day after day after day after day. And finally, the judge that didn't fear man or God said, man, this woman is wearing me down. Give her what she wants. But then Jesus prefaces this little woman's parable with this. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. This woman's pleading just wearied that judge, wore him down. Read the parable. A, a, a Puritan pastor that I, that I enjoy reading after, his name is J.C. Ryle, he put it this way, quote, Prayer lies at the root of our practical Christianity, end of quote. Let me put it in my words. Prayer is a part of our daily routine as Christians. Amen. J.C. Ryle said once again, quote, if importunity succeeds so well between man and man, how much more may we expect it to obtain mercies we need in prayer to God, end of quote. If men are this way with men, how much more do you think God's going to be to us, his children? Thousands upon thousands of new Christians eagerly take up the habit of prayer for a while. But in their 
in time, their prayers get cold and consequently they lay it aside and it's no more an issue or a need in their life. You know, I was trying to do a survey this morning or reading different surveys. And, you know, what causes Christians, what causes Christians to quit praying? And I came up with three, three, I believe I have, four, I have four main answers that people give why they quit praying as Christians. Number one, and, and this was kind of hard for me to understand. They're all really hard, but, but, but anyway, um, number one, they feel awkward praying to an invisible God. Really? But, but that's what a lot of people struggle with. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to make light of that. I'm really not, Okay. But people just struggle with just going in to their closet or in bowing to their knees and at a chair or, or at an altar and praying to an invisible God. We had a, when Debbie and I was in Bible school, we had a, a couple from Kenya, Stephen and Jennifer Nyawa. And one day, they, they lived in a, we, we lived in a little 11 by 17 cabin, and they lived in a little one-room 11 by 17 cabin, and we were only like 10 feet apart. So I needed something. So in the morning, I went over, and I knocked on Stephen's door. I could see through the curtain there. He, I had interrupted him in praying, but he jumped up, and he came, came to the door. And uh, he said, come on in. And so I went in, and... I said, I didn't mean to interrupt your prayer time. He said, oh, he said, that's, that's fine. He says, what? He says, uh, he had an empty chair. There was two chairs. And, and I said, what's that chair for? And he says, when I always pray, I always put a chair there because I know Jesus is going to be there with me. I can't see him, but I know he's sitting there. So many times when I pray in my office, sit down in a chair and say, Lord, this chair is for you. Never forgotten that. But some people struggle with praying to an invisible God. Some uh, second reason, I really don't know what to say. I really don't know how to pray. You know, that's what church is all about. Learning. You should know how to pray by attending this church. It's something that we, we don't circumnavigate. It's something that's extremely important. Number three, and this is a big one. I can understand this one here. Too many distractions. I'm just too busy to pray. I've got to get up and do this and that and the other. It doesn't fit into my daily routine. Then you need to change your daily routine. Distractions will never go away, but you can control them. And here's the fourth one. My prayers are hardly ever answered. I pray and I pray and I pray, or I've not pray and I pray and I pray, but I've prayed and my prayers weren't answered. As if God is supposed to jump at every time we click our fingers. Is it a sin not to pray? Is it a sin not to pray? 
Think about it. Is it a sin not to pray? Does a father want to hear his children talk to him? Up until the day my dad died, I enjoyed conversing with my father every couple weeks, even though he lived in Indiana. I enjoy hearing from my children. I want to hear their voices. Because this is what prayer is all about. And and this is what you got to get in your mind. Prayer is not about wanting and needing. That's, that, those are elements. But my primary focus in prayer is it's about relationship. I want to talk to my Savior. I want to talk to Him. You know, the Bible says in Matthew 6, it says, but when ye pray... Matter of fact, let me, let me read you my King James Version. Let me read you mine. Matthew 6, 6. But Mike, and I have all my, these words crossed out, and these are the ones I put in. But Mike, when you pray, enter into Mike's closet, and when you have shut the door, your door, pray to your Father, which is in secret, and your Father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. And this is over so many people's heads. He says, enter into your closet and pray to your father, which is in secret. And the father, which sees in secret shall reward you openly. It doesn't say that he's going to answer you. It doesn't say that. You keep praying. You keep going to him in your closet, being consistent. He said, I'll show it to you in due time. I'll respond in in due time. So what, 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 does that, what, what, what does that tell me? That when I'm in my closet, I am, I'm cultivating my relationship with him. Man, I've had, some, I've had some pretty wild times in my closet. Literally. I've had times in prayer where I just knew without a shadow of a doubt he was in there. There's been times where I've turned to look because his presence was there. I just knew he was in here. I get so excited. Those those times are very few and far in between. I was praying one time in in our bedroom, kneeling at our at our love, love seat, and I was calling out to him and and I heard something and I turned around and looked because I thought daddy walked in the room and it wasn't her and so I buried my head back into the into the sofa I said God I know you're here and there I was again but I didn't look this time I just continued to love and and enjoy his presence It's about a relationship. The greatest theme of Scripture is from Genesis to Revelation. It's a book of relationship. 
he didn't have to get me anything. Everything that I get and all the blessings that he pours out upon me are just extras. Prayer is not supposed to be a wishing well or a vending machine. We just don't pray to get something. We pray because we want to be with our Father. I read a story, I, I wrote it down, and then I deleted it, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. This little boy saw the emperor standing in his chariot, and the little boy ran. And a big old gruff soldier steps out in front of the boy and says, where are you going? He said, I want to see the emperor. And the, little, and the, the big gruff soldier said, no, you just can't run up to the emperor. And the little boy said, he may be an emperor to you, but he's my dad. He opened up his arms and said, climb on in, son. He's my dad. Woo, glory be to God. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, as I wind down here. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. You know, prayer is more, you know, I, 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 I try to pray every way imaginable, and I've done it every way imaginable, and I still do it every way imaginable because I believe in variety, and I've concluded with this, that man just walk in a mode of prayer. There, I, I read where a German doctor, a, a German physician, he so wanted to pray without ceasing that he carried an alarm clock with him, and every five or 10 minutes, that alarm clock would go off, and regardless of what he was doing, you know, he, it wasn't like he had to find a place to bend his knee or anything like that, but whatever he was doing, he'd just take a moment to call out on God, and, 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 but he did this, he, he just did this over, you know, that, that's a little extreme, but they, this is what they said. He found out that the people that came to him for medical assistance dropped, it plummeted significantly because of his prayer life. Luke 21, 36, watch therefore and pray always. We're not supposed to stop. Ephesians 6, 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication. Now let me just wind down here. If you do not take prayer seriously, you become someone that the Bible describes as lukewarm. you become someone that the Bible describes as lukewarm. Peter did just an outstanding job this morning on sanctification, and my mind was racing when he was talking about the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, which is the bondage of sin, crossing through the Red Sea, which is a type of salvation, entering into the wilderness. And he said the word that I was going to say, but he beat me to it because he's the teacher. He said, carnal Christian. Let me just also say lukewarm Christian. They didn't make it into the promised land. Not feeling the need to pray is an attitude of thinking you have what you need even though you don't. To not pray makes you a prime candidate for temptation and sin. That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. And even, uh, does he say that in 11? 
Yeah, and lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. So if you're not going to pray, temptation and evil is always going to be at your doorstep. Jesus said in verse 9 and 10, he said, and I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. For everyone that asketh receiveth and he that seeketh findeth and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. I, I wish I could have brought my journal here this morning. I, I keep a prayer journal. It, it, it really encourages me. And I'll write stuff. Every, everybody in here Everybody in here is in my journal. Everybody. Nobody's exempt from this. And I'll, I'll write things or see things in your life or whatever it may be as, as a pastor, a friend. And I'll write things in my journal. And when I see something happen that I've been praying for, I write, write something in red ink. If you went like this to my journal, it's so full of red. So full of red. And you might be thinking, well, God answers all those prayers. He does, but then he doesn't. As my wife said this morning in Sunday school, when we were exploring another church and exploring building and things like this, God kept shutting the door. That's an answer to prayer. It's in red. You see, it's not about, he doesn't hear me. It's not about, he doesn't care. No, it's all about, are you praying the will of God for your life? What thy will be done, O oh God. Amen. My last statement is this. A Christian's standing before God is always measured by their prayer life. A Christian's standing before God is always measured by their prayer life. When Rich and Cindy Goldeisen were here a couple months ago, I heard him preach a message. That is a praying man. I heard him preach a message 30-some years ago at an alumni convention. And he preached on prayer. And he said, when I get to heaven, he said, I want to be able to walk into heaven and people go, hi, Rich. <laughs> I know that man. There's Rich Goldison. People up there are going to know who I am. Who's that guy? Don't know. <laughs> who is he? I don't know. Look on the roster. Is he supposed to be here? <laughs> yeah. But anyway. So it's a parable about prayer. About prayer. We're living in a time where we need to turn it up. Amen. Because of the, everything that's going on in our, in our world. And Jesus is fixing to come. He really is. He really is. So is it sin not to pray? Yes, it is. It's sinful not to pray. To him that knoweth to do good and to him that doeth it not, to him it is what? Sin, James 4, 17. Let's all stand.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word here this morning. It's a good word. We've learned some things here this morning. We've learned, Lord, the value of being hospitable. But Lord, there's so much more to just seeing that parable at face value about having a need and bread and things like that. If I can go ask a friend, if I can go ask Mike Johnson or Philip Sanders, and I know they'd drop whatever they're doing, and if I told them to be out here in the morning, they'd be here. But the whole point is if, if they can be that way, how much more will my heavenly Father be to me? Lord, I, 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 I pray that God somehow, some way you would stir our hearts, stir our spirits and help us to see the value and the preciousness of prayer. It's something that we all need to cultivate in our lives. Father, we love and appreciate you. I pray that God, you would minister be everything that, that each and every one of us need you to be in our lives. In Jesus' name.